I'm not complaining, mind you, but I'd like to be if you'd show up a minute. <laughs> Welcome back to River Heights Radio. We're happy to have you here. I'm Carl Hauser. And I'm Hope Busby. And boy, are we excited today to talk about our professor collecting... Boyfriend pranking... Map assembling... Special student... Nancy, Nancy Drew, Drew. Who's back uh, here in River Heights and beyond in the... Clue, Clue of, of the, the Black, Black Keys. Keys. I know what you're thinking. Keys like lock and key or keys like a piano's keys? Well, it's a little bit of a pun. What about the Florida keys, Carl? That is also a pun. <laughs> this is the 1968 edition that we read, and it has all that fun 60s flair. It's quite raucous. Very descriptive. Yes, so much description. So much detail. And it felt like a real detective novel. It definitely did this pacing thing where it had like racing, suspenseful parts, and then a lot of waiting. And then racing, suspenseful, and then a lot of waiting. It wasn't like a steady bell curve. Nancy Drew, as this book opens, is stepping off of an airplane with her good friend, Bess Marvin. Oh, where'd they go? They went to New York again. And she says, in what can only be described as like an improv opener, she says, wasn't it a grand weekend in New York? But it's good to be back in River Heights. There's your mother, Bess. And choke on that exposition, Nancy. <laughs> she is offered a ride by Mrs. Marfin, who kisses her. <laughs> and she's like, no, 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 I have my own car. Mm-hmm. Long-term parking, don't you know? <laughs> so she goes into the parking lot and is waylaid by a young, attractive gentleman. His name is Terrence Scott. He's 25, tall, attractive, blue eyes, reddish hair, but we won't hold it against him. And he's a professor. And he's like, hey, your dad told me I don't need a lawyer. I need a detective. And so I decided to wait in the parking lot of the airport to ask you to help me. I love Nancy's like, well, step into my office, I guess. (laughs) She's like, I think we might be more comfortable in the waiting room. So he's a professor at Keystone University. He says, you might think it's a little bit strange that I showed up in the airport parking lot. However, when I learned how clever you are, I knew I had to run over here and meet you. Nancy Drew says, I'll do what I can. (laughs) Just imagine Terry driving over going, God, she seems so clever. I gotta get there. (laughs) So, uh, Terry as we'll call him, was working on his professorship job down in Mexico where he was deciphering an ancient mystery. Which is kind of funny because the mystery is not as ancient. The mystery is his. Yes. But whatever. It was based on ancient things. He planned to dig for ancient treasure. Nancy's interest was aroused. (laughs) According to legend, says Terry, something of great benefit to mankind is secreted with the treasure. Which I love. It's like, Mm -hmm. hey, listen, there's treasure, but that's not good enough for Nancy. Like, you've seen that a hundred (laughs) times. It could be a golden statue of Thomas Jefferson, and it wouldn't matter. But listen, (laughs) benefit to mankind. I've never seen seen anybody have to work so hard to get Nancy to do their case though. Right. (laughs) It's a great benefit to mankind. Uh, The world will end if you don't do it. Uh, You'll you'll be in the paper. Uh, (laughs) So on their search for this treasure, which will have a great benefit to mankind, they did find a stone tablet, but that tablet disappeared. 
before they could even translate it. They couldn't translate it before it disappeared. Even more importantly, Dr. Pitt, the professor who was helping Terrence Scott, the senior professor on the job, also disappeared the same night as the stone tablet. Did he steal the tablet or was he stolen with the tablet? Well, says Terry, he was secretive and he is a bachelor, but I think he's honest. Isn't Terry also a bachelor? Yeah, but Aren't Terry's every one 25. of these professors bachelors? <laughs> well, their real wife is archaeology, Carl. <laughs> okay, so Terry gets a little passionate. He says, I don't intend that anyone else shall get the credit for something that belongs to us professors. <laughs> Which is like, yeah, you're in a country that is not yours, basically stealing a treasure that is not yours. And no one will get the credit for this cultural appropriation <laughs> except for us. <laughs> I can't blame you nancy agreed which i feel like is her standard way of calming down somebody who is really upset they're there terry has one half of a key made out of obsidian black obsidian and the other two and a half keys there's three keys total are missing good math Mm -hmm. he suspects a mr juarez tino and his wife mrs tino sure uh he says they passed themselves off as scientists but my guess is they're fakers phonies (laughs) and the blurb at the beginning says the same thing like they passed themselves off as scientists so it's like that's a pretty dead giveaway that they are fakers if if we're already assuming they passed themselves off right? right you know when you introduce yourself to someone you say what do you do and they say well i pass myself off as a scientist well racist as ever juarez tino is a dark swarthy man does he have piercing black eyes well we he is dark short he has a sort of a crooked mouth and he has beady eyes oh beady eyes very different yeah which if you think about it are the black eyes that you might see in a cartoon those little just like dots because they were too lazy or too cheap to like drop the eyes sure He's got cartoon eyes. <laughs> yeah. Terry says, oh my gosh, I got to go call this other professor. He's old and cranky. He'll be mad if I don't do it on time. So he goes to the phone booth and Nancy, out of the corner of her eye, spots Juarez Tino. <gasps> What's he doing? He's fingering the professor's top coat. In public? Yeah. Terry left his top coat on the bench and- He's uh, just sitting there fingering it? Yup. It's very risque. Juarez, hey, says Nancy. Friggin' stop that. <laughs> so Juarez runs off. Yep. Terry comes back from the phone booth and Nancy's like, hey, I a man who is Juarez Tino fingered your coat. Your key's gone. And you're just gonna need to believe me on that. Uh, so he just does. Yeah. They run out of the airport looking for him. They see a police officer. You know, good old Sergeant Malloy, who we oh, all know. Yeah, yeah, one of the many Irish policemen in River Heights. Right. So she says, Sergeant, did you see Juarez Tino? Mm-hmm. And fill in the gaps of what that looks like based on his name. And the sergeant's like, oh, I did. He was a, the man who was running past here. All swarthy and beady-eyed. <laughs> so, so she's like, okay. So they all run. They all run. So the, the police officer just joins the chase. Mm-hmm. They all jump into Nancy's car. Yeah, not the police car. Nope. The, <laughs> the cop just like joins this like it's a cal- calamari ball. <laughs> Katamari. Katamari ball. <laughs> and uh, 
and they just all jump in her car and speed off to chase the car that Juarez got into. They get close enough to see it has Florida plates. <gasps> Typical, you know, Floridians. Yep. Uh, so they're chasing the car. It turns around to go back to the airport. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Nancy pulls what they call a neat u-turn and chases them until the car they're chasing drives across a field and onto the runway runway, narrowly avoiding a passenger plane in what almost killed them and many others so nancy like against all her instincts actually does not follow them onto the runway. She's no stunt driver. She's vexed. Nancy covers her eyes and listens. She expects to hear ripping and grinding, but the driver did make it. He's a stunt driver. (laughs) Sergeant Malloy says, by the skin of his teeth. So the officer tells them that they must stay in the car and Nancy bites her lip in vexation. She possessed courage and daring beyond her years, but she always paid heed to the wisdom of her father and others of his generation. Just all of them. If you're of that generation, (laughs) if you're old, Mm. I'll do what you say. It's such a weird, it, it feels like the book's way of saying like, yeah, Nancy's a, you know, a teen who pushes against rules, but she'll always listen to all all of them. But historically... That's not true. That's not true, yeah. So they see Juarez running into the airport on foot while Sergeant Malloy talks to the driver of the car. (laughs) Nancy... Do you know why I pulled you over? ...leaves the officer there and drives back to the airport. That's right. She's stuck in traffic, so she's chafed. And uh, it turns out that she just missed the plane leaving. There was no Juarez Tino on this plane, but there was a Conway King. Conway King? Juarez, Tino, mix around the letters. None of them are the same, but still. No. The only reason she figures out this Conway King is the airport lady is like, oh yeah, there was a man who like, he barely made it onto the plane in time. He ran in, he was sweating, covered in runway dust. I don't know. The best part is when the airline worker is like, I can't just tell you who's on that plane. Nancy has this very convincing argument. I have a particular reason for wanting to know. That's always a reason. And psychologically, that's sound, right? People will do a lot of things for you if you just tell them there's a reason. The airline worker says the wife had a loud, brassy voice. Which is all Terry needs know to identify. He says, that is, that's the, that's the passed off scientist wife of... <laughs> Juarez Tino. Luckily, Nancy says to herself, you know, even though we had a car chase after the man who stole half a key, maybe there was no reason to do that. (laughs) It just gets me so much. I have a hunch that he never stole the key. We, idiots as we are, just dropped it somewhere. So she starts... got an officer involved in a chase. Who's still on the runway, I assume. (laughs) Because a man fingered your coat. Yep. (laughs) Not like Malloy had anything to do. Uh, so, So she searches around the bench. It's not there. She says to Terry, are you sure you didn't take it out of your coat, hold it with you, take it to the phone booth, and set it down there? And he says, um, uh, maybe. I believe that's his quote. (laughs) And so he goes to the phone booth to check. While he's there, Nancy suddenly realizes the bench has slats. And maybe you should check between them. 
fish. And that's where she finds half of an obsidian key. She pries it out with her cuticle knife. A little bit of like, only a, only a teen girl could do this. Mm-hmm. The best part is, now Terry comes back from the phone booth again, <laughs> and she's like, I found it. Again, just believe me. Yeah, for all he knows, she pocketed it. That for all he part. knows, yeah, she was just like, hmm. <laughs> This is how I get detective work. <laughs> that was the day the airplane was stolen from the airport. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, Officer Malloy wasn't at his post. Yeah. There, there was just like <laughs> rampant crime. <laughs> you can thank Officer Malloy for the graffiti in the boys' bathroom. <laughs> uh, it just says, I miss Malloy. <laughs> Terry is very excited that she found this key. In fact, he says to her, you're a cool detective. <laughs> I'm sure that from now on, our case will prosper. Now, Nancy sees what he's trying to do here. She's amused that he says, our case. (laughs) She hasn't even agreed to take it on. And if she had, it would be hers. (laughs) I love that detail so much. Now, says Terry, complimenting her again, I'm sure you're a lawyer's daughter. Because you've got a logical mind. (laughs) Terry, you're so smooth. At this point, Nancy's curiosity was thoroughly aroused. Just like raging arousal. But, nice as Terry Scott seemed, she must check on him first. She has to get daddy's permission. This has never happened. If she thinks the case is intriguing, she's always like, oh yeah, I'll help you. Yeah, Terry really shot himself in the foot just showing up at the airport, waving his arms. Yeah, I think that's working against him here. So, Terry goes to call a taxi because it would be inappropriate to drive home with a girl. Nancy walks out to try to get into her car again. And Officer Malloy is coming towards her with an angry gentleman, the driver of the getaway car. Porterly. Is the car still on the runway? <laughs> yep. He accuses Nancy of trying to ruin his reputation. I love this. The guy's like, this is on you, Nancy Drew. <laughs> yeah. He says Juarez was a complete stranger who he just tried to help out. I'm a good guy. A man jumps into my car and tells me to drive onto a runway. I'm gonna do it. Well, that's the whole thing is like, Officer Malloy doesn't need Nancy, doesn't need anything to see someone drive in front of a plane that's taking off. That's enough to get pulled over by a cop, I'm pretty sure. I would imagine. (laughs) Just then, a voice from the crowd says, Nancy Drew is a very fine girl. You'd better be careful what you say about her. (gasps) Someone gonna use their judo on him? (laughs) Yeah, George is there because Bess forgot her hat box. (laughs) He insists that Nancy is trying to ruin his grapefruit business. Yeah, Nancy's had it out for the grapefruit business for a while now. (laughs) She got got, like squirted in the eye once and she hasn't forgiven him. (laughs) In the end, Nancy somehow comes out ahead in this argument and finally gets to go to her car. Officer Malloy did forget to write him a ticket after all that. (laughs) George says to Nancy, Hypers, Nancy, you do get mixed up with the strangest of characters. Oh, that's interesting. Hypers, have we heard that before? Yes. A bit. A a little bit. (laughs) Nancy, you aren't involved in another mystery. Nancy says, well, I'm not sure. Because she hasn't checked with Daddy yet. Yeah. Now, Nancy figures, okay, George, Bess, follow me home. Make sure I'm not... I don't know. 
terrible crimed by Terry, and I'll give him a, dr- a drive home. Yeah, because he couldn't find a taxi, and he's very apologetic about her getting in trouble with Porter Lee. Yeah, so she's like, whatever horrifying thing I think Terry's going to do to me, <laughs> he probably won't do if George and Bess are following along. So she gets him to his hotel. He says, listen, they're after me. Take this half of the obsidian key. It'll be safer with you. And Nancy's like, all right, but I'm not necessarily doing your case. Don't even think I'm definitely doing the mystery that the universe has given me. As he goes inside, Bess calls out, lucky you. Because uh, apparently he's he's hot. and he very attractive. <laughs> and that just means that uh, Nancy is, once again, the lucky lady. Mm-hmm. George calls out, he's charming, teasingly. I'm sending an application to Keystone University. <laughs> Good for George, really. Uh, yeah, she, I mean, she won't make it. Her grades are terrible. <laughs> Got like aces and PE and nothing else. <laughs> Stop it, girls, Nancy pleaded. Then added with a grin, but he is handsome, isn't he? <laughs> and I love this. And then she drives off. Yep. Like, specifically without giving them a chance to reply. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> he is handsome. Well, I love that this whole conversation is them shouting to each other from their individual cars. Like he's just in, he just got into the hotel. <laughs> he's probably watching them have this conversation. <laughs> he's like, "This is charming, but you're also young. I am a professor." <laughs> I've seen this kind of trouble happen. Because he's a professor, he's probably used to this. Yeah. Nancy gets home. She says, hey, dad, did you tell a guy to corner me in a parking lot? And Carson says, no, I did tell him you were arriving by plane, but I had no idea he'd do that. Well, dad, did you tell him I was clever? Because what else is he supposed to do? (laughs) Hannah says it's time for dinner. Nancy thinks that's a lovely idea. She says, I'll be ready in two gifs. Hannah doesn't just say it's time for dinner. She's like, do not, stop talking. You can talk about it after dinner. Enough. She's very forceful in this book. Well, a jiff, I just found out a jiffy is an actual unit of time. What? Did you know this? It's like 0.0 something seconds. So it's pretty quick. That's very silly. Yes. It's a very (laughs) silly fact to find out. Thank you. Yeah. So Nancy hides the obsidian key, half key, in her dressing table. Mm -hmm. This is exactly where something got stolen from in multiple other books. The first place anyone's going to (laughs) look. She calls the university, which vouches for Terry, but Carson is not dissuaded from further investigation. Basically, in the middle of the night, Hannah wakes Nancy up because there's a burglar. (gasps) Carson has a golf club as a weapon. He's got Second Amendment rights. He can have a golf club. I feel like in the original he had a gun. Oh, absolutely he had a gun. (laughs) He had a bazooka in the original. Togo didn't bark to warn them. Because (laughs) because Togo is on vacation. Oh, well-needed getaway for the dog. Aunt Eloise has gone to her summer home. Mm Mm-hmm. For three weeks, mm-hmm. and I guess needed a dog to be with her at her summer home. Now, there's a there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> yeah. But I, my question is, is that why Nancy and Bess went to New York? Was to drop off the dog? 
Maybe. Maybe, right? That makes a lot of sense, actually. I love it. They manage to chase off the burglar. No harm done. They go back to sleep. They sleep in. Fess is already at the breakfast table. I love the new familiarity that Vess and George have. Like, they basically come and go as they please at the Drew household. I definitely noticed that. I also noticed that Vess's familiarity really extends to the kitchen. But no real comments on her weight or, like, she's called plump. No, yeah, and that, I, I'm just know. saying, like, she cooks for them. She's just like, yeah, let me do it. Vess is like, something awful is bound to happen if you take this case. Nancy's like, but what? What specifically could go wrong, Bess? Well, it seems so dangerous. And Ned Nickerson won't like it a bit. He'll be so worried, Nancy, especially when he takes a look at your professor. Bess, Ned won't think anything of the sort. The Ned in this book might not, but the Ned we have seen over time will definitely think something of the sort. Yeah, he's a very jealous man. And the Nancy we've seen before has no idea how jealousy works no one does better vague threats than the nancy drew books yes <laughs> like there's always someone who right at the end of the chapter is ready to say nancy if you take this case it could mean death <laughs> and it'd be like what do you mean i don't know it seems dangerous <laughs> yep. you know it's yep. always like that i don't know it seems dangerous it could be you know who knows you're always getting into scrapes yeah is that not correct <laughs> yeah I think if every time we got in the car, I was like, Hope, if we go to Target, we could get in a huge accident. Nancy, haven't you already done 27 cases this year? Yeah. (laughs) Calm it down, Nancy. (laughs) At least for three weeks until Togo gets back. After breakfast, Nancy gives Professor Terrence a call. And what does she find? But that last night, a masked man broke into his hotel room and knocked him out. He was out all night. Which, I mean, it's a convenient time to be knocked out. But it's still not <laughs> healthy. Um, I wish someone would come knock me out. Yeah, boy. I'm up till 3 a.m. some nights. <laughs> I don't even want my lecture notes. Uh, Terrence's lecture notes have been stolen, along with many pictures he took in Mexico of, you know... Archaeology. Archaeology. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, Terrence reveals at this point that the treasure may be some type of jewel the frogs you see the culture that they're studying indigenous mexicans all i know is at one point in this book the term swamp indian is used that's so outside of my purview of understanding of what we once called people they talk about the seminoles a lot i believe they're referring to the seminoles you're smarter than i am because i thought that was a baseball team i'm not smarter than you i'm a little better educated (laughs) in my education i learned these people apparently uh, thought of frogs and as sacred indigenous mexicans thought of frogs as sacred terry makes it easy to understand by saying you know how in india they think of cows as sacred it's like oh they without that baseline i wouldn't have understood it's the classic metaphor that like does nothing different you know how in america some people think of jesus as sacred (laughs) oh i get it now terry shows nancy the drawing that was found in pitt's dr pitt's tent After he was kidnapped, Terry found a scrap of paper. He might be the bad guy still. He's not. This (laughs) note was found. It is a picture of a triangle with a frog on one corner, a prostate man. That was not right. Prostrate man. (laughs) In another corner. And the sun in a third. Uh, So... Terry wants to take Nancy to Mexico to help him uncover this mystery. Nothing creepy about that. Carson says, 
no, I actually need you here. I got work for you. You haven't done your chores. You can't leave. Later, Carson tells Nancy that the work he needs her to do is actually about the very case that she's not really taking yet. (laughs) Because apparently Dr. Pitt's will, if he's, I guess, kidnapped is now dead. If he's dead, Mm -hmm. names Professor Terry as its sole beneficiary. beneficiary. Thank you for the word. (laughs) It's something, says Carson, to keep in mind. Yeah, because Nancy's like, he wouldn't do that. It's something to keep in mind, Nancy. You don't know. You haven't seen these people. Carson wants her to check out the other two professors who were working on this mystery. Nancy gets George to go with her to meet Dr. Graham. Hypers, Nancy. Hypers, that's interesting. Have we heard that before? I don't know how to talk to a doctor of archaeology. That's fine, George. Don't talk. But I'll go. Dr. Graham is small, stooped. He has leathery cheeks. And he calls Terrence an arrogant young man. He thinks that Dr. Pitt went off purposely on his own. Basically, other than calling him an arrogant young man, he says Terry's a good guy. He's a dick, but he's okay. As they leave, George says, Ned will be surprised when he learns about your interest in professors. Wait, Nancy, really? Her relationship would not survive if Bess and George weren't there maintaining it all the time. Ned calls her on the phone when she gets home and says, You're not forgetting our date this weekend, are you? Are you? That's typical Ned, right? And I love, because Nancy has 100% forgotten dates before. (laughs) And she says, I have a marvelous memory for dates. Sometimes yours are included in that. Bess and George are just beside themselves with sadness because they can't go to this Emerson dance. But Nancy can. Uh, As a favor, Ned is asked Nancy to drive out a professor that's visiting Emerson College to give a lecture on none other than archaeology. Whoa. Drive out with some man in my car, says Nancy. Are you sure that's wise, Ned? Mm -hmm. Giving him a tease. And it says it's a professor. What is he, 60? If he's a dad. What is he, ancient? What is he, an ancient old? I could beat him up. I don't care. He's stodgy. Yeah, I'm sure of it. You know, because he's a professor. Yep. Nancy thinks this is a grand old joke. Yep. (laughs) And decides it'll be far funnier to prank Ned by not telling him what a gorgeous little heartthrob (laughs) Professor Terry is. I love it. I think what's even worse is she immediately calls up Terry to get him in on the joke. Yeah, which he doesn't need to be. Like, Mm. unless he's going to call Ned and mention his age and handsomeness. But she just wants to share a good joke with handsome Professor Terry on her boyfriend. Oh, wait. This is why, honestly, as a Polly person, I loved reading Nancy Drew's years ago. Because Nancy is never called anything bad. She's never even called a flirt. Like, she is allowed to date multiple men, to see multiple men. And I think I completely missed that she also always has to have an escort. <laughs> Part of it was she just wasn't allowed to go places Yeah, on her own. yeah, not as good. <laughs> well, Nancy and her new professor friend laughed heartily at the joke <laughs> on her boyfriend. <laughs> Wait till he sees I'm hot. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, They made off in her convertible before stopping at an attractive roadside restaurant on the way to Emerson. So it is now that we find out that Terrence Scott 
has always hated Juarez Tino. Oh, just from the beginning. I was sure he was up to some devilry. The Tinos took up camp near Dr. Pitt and Terry and just like came and spied at their pla- on their place at night and asked them all sorts of probing questions all the time. I imagine like when you're at a campsite and you just have other campers who are a little too friendly. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, hey guys, we're the scientists from the lot next door. Yep. And now we find the classic what not to be let's contrast nancy who is what Uh, a woman should be yes with what a woman should not be which Uh is mrs tino obviously mrs tino you wouldn't like her nancy says terry (laughs) she wears loud clothes and always makes herself conspicuous oh she's seen she has a bold manner oh no and her voice is harsh in fact her whole personality suggested just one thing to me cruelty i was actually really off put by this description yeah because the more i thought about it first of all makes herself conspicuous is a strange way to describe a woman Mm -hmm. because you're just saying you notice her yeah now if you were in a room Mm -hmm. with a bunch of girls who's the first girl you notice nancy drew yeah she herself is conspicuous the difference is she doesn't make herself conspicuous yeah and your loveliness should speak for itself we talked about like that girl who put on all that makeup in the tolling bell. bell. She was plain and it was bad. She tried to make herself unplain. Nancy Drew is not plain and so she's good. And it's also eugenics-y. It's also you're born with it or you're not and you cannot try to be something you're not. You must accept your place like some weird attraction caste system. Well, a woman asking for attention. But Nancy's bold. She's bold all the time. I guess she says pretty please. Is that the difference? Well, and she'll defer it if there's a compliment. But yeah, here's the thing. I can see a person who literally needs to be the center of attention constantly. Sure. And if that's what he was saying, I'd be less annoyed. But what I see is, yes, a woman who is just treats herself as if she's equal to men. And that is the difference. Nancy will never treat herself as if she's equal to men. She will defer to men, especially of her father's generation. She will make sure that she gets their advice constantly. If you, What you're looking for in this case is like arm candy for Juarez is what they're looking for Mrs. Tino to be. Yeah, very off-putting. Yeah, and it's specifically put in there to contrast with Nancy Drew. It's both about how she has natural beauty, so she doesn't have to do all that. And that's what a woman should do. Mm-hmm. But it's also about... Out like well when men are talking you should close your mouth right you know now look i don't like cruel people if they had just described a cruel person to me then i wouldn't have liked mrs tina but they couldn't just do that because they had to say something about what women shouldn't be Mm-hmm. So at first, they just described to me a badass woman scientist in the 1960s, <laughs> right? Yeah. And then they ended on she's cruel. And you see her cruelty later in this book. But for here, it's like, I know you can't show it. You are just telling Nancy. But tell her things that have anything to do with cruelty. Sure. And I'll be on your page. But I'm not. And it's even more suspect since this woman, it's never said, but is probably dark and swarthy like her husband. Mm-hmm. So there's also this hierarchy where it's like, well, Nancy may be allowed to ask for a certain amount of attention, but Mrs. Tino should absolutely be quiet. Right. 
And there's even this subtle thing of like, what does it mean to dress loudly? Does she have bright colors on? Miss you know, dress loudly. We all love her. Yeah, I kind of love Mrs. Tino as a bad guy because I think she's honestly kind of a badass, but she is bad in the end. But you do have to really examine whenever they're holding up what women shouldn't be. You really need to listen in these books, I think. Okay, so enough about that. Nancy, based on these descriptions, says, this couple sounds equal to taking on almost any underhanded work. Oh, based on how you describe them, yeah, I could see them murdering or whatever. Terry and Nancy, having their fill of tasty gossip, leave the restaurant. Terry spots two men on a hill spying on them. And they what decide... What a place to spy from. You're just standing on a hill being like, when they come out of the restaurant, we'll really see them. They decide to take Chase. Nancy teases Terry slash flirts with Terry. <laughs> Do you suppose your elderly nerves can stand the strain, Professor? And he says, we'll, we'll see. We'll find out. Nancy drives them straight after these guys. Mm-hmm. Fast as she can go. Hoping to catch up with it right into a ditch. Right into the ditch. <laughs> Blacks out. Nancy drives them into a ditch. And it says that she like goes around the corner and didn't expect it there. But don't drive so fast around a corner. It's one of the few times that she wakes up from blacking out and has any symptoms at all. Right. Because she's got a headache. Mm-hmm. Uh, Some bruises. She's got bruises. So Terry's like, wait a minute. This ditch is here because of road work. They should have put up a sign. So you know not to go speeding around the corner. Pa-rump, pa-rump, pa-rump. Well, don't blame the road crew, Terry, says Nancy. She calls it the road gang. <laughs> That's right. We're the road gang. <laughs> <laughs> you better pay your dues if you want to be on our mean streets. Uh, it turns out somebody moved the road work ahead sign intentionally. Could have been those murderous spy watchers. Yeah. Terry's so shocked. He's like, that would be murder, Nancy. Yeah, I said they wouldn't stop at anything based on their description, Terrence. (laughs) Terry puts the sign back just as another elderly couple speeds around the corner, (laughs) stopping just in time. (laughs) You know what? I gotta say, time is weird in this book. Yeah. Because this keeps happening where people show up the second they say mm. they're... Like, earlier, before Terry came over, she hung up and she didn't even get a chance to talk to her dad before he was there. Yeah. And right here, the couple says, we'll send a tow truck as soon as we get into town. And it shows up minutes later? Yeah, I think the head injury might have affected <laughs> the time perception there. Well, the wrecker, uh, the wrecker, as they call the tow truck, pulls the car out and says, whoa, some car, no real harm. Yeah which is actually very bad and dangerous if your car doesn't like just deflate when it it's yeah it's it crunches for your safety yeah so yeah they're they're like admiring the undamaged car as nancy's like vomiting from her head injury (laughs) terry drives the rest of the way so nancy can relax and pamper that head of hers (laughs) which really just means take a nap and never wake up As Terry is being dropped off, he says he wants at least one dance with Nancy. Very appropriate, Terry. She says, are you going to the dance? And he says, if I'm invited. Hint. 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 (laughs) Ned right away brings Nancy to the infirmary. Oh, no. He makes her call Hannah first. And then he brings her to Mm -hmm. the infirmary. He says to her afterwards, how did you and the prof hit it off? Was he much bother? Nancy smiled demurely. He was a lamb. 
So now she's demure, but it's to pull a prank on her boyfriend. At this point, I was totally reading it. I'm like, is, is he even going to meet the professor? What is this? How does this prank come together? Well, here, I'll tell you how. She says, he is your frat brother, by coincidence. Mm-hmm. You should definitely invite him to the dance, Ned. The amount of work she has to go to for this prank. <laughs> All right, Ned said reluctantly. She asks Ned to go visit Dr. Anderson tomorrow. And he says, look here, Nancy, is this some more of your detective work? Look here, bud. Are you detecting things? Nancy is doing a good job at compartmentalizing, though. And she says, I'll tell you all about the fascinating mystery on the drive to Dr. Anderson. Ned, we learn, played a spectacular game as a quarterback. Nancy cheered herself horse. I was just excited that this game was like less than a page. Yeah. Because yeah, they have been long a in the past. They head off to the dance. Ned and Nancy dance a bunch and he says, I haven't seen any elderly men. I guess Terry couldn't make it. And Nancy suppressed a smile. Ned's just looking around the room for hot old men to dance with. <laughs> Brother Nickerson, a voice breaks through Ned's reverie of elderly thoughts. (laughs) Terry greets Ned, and Ned shoots Nancy, and I'll get even look. (laughs) Wait a minute. That's horrible. This guy's age isn't what I expected. (laughs) I will hit you later. No, No, that's not what he thought. No, no. Then he burst out laughing. Well, you two kept your secret well. (laughs) Which is true. Nancy really didn't say anything. And Terry hadn't met you. He didn't have to keep the secret well. What are you talking about? (laughs) I haven't had so much fun since my own college days, says Terry, fondly remembering three years ago. Yeah. Two, maybe. Nancy and Ned go off to visit Dr. Anderson, a robust man wearing comfortable tweeds and puffing a briar pipe (laughs) (laughs) professor he believes in field trips as the proper form of teaching which i agree with personally yeah why not right it's Mm. a beautiful day out let's teach outside great country florida he says of archaeology down there but nancy deftly maneuvered the conversation to mexico (laughs) florida isn't that place in the south 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 of america south america Mexico? Let's talk about Mexico. (laughs) Good job, Nancy. (laughs) They find out that Juarez Tino has been on a visit to Dr. Anderson. He said, I will tell you where the stone is and Dr. Pitt if you pay me some money. But Dr. Anderson threw the rascally scoundrel out. What was the plan there? Because, like, doesn't he want to use the stone and the doctor to, like, find the treasure that will change mankind forever? Remember, I like you all in one piece, says Ned. Don't worry. So do I, says Nancy. So they attend Terry's lecture, which is very exciting, unlike most of those dry lectures at the university. The pyrotechnics go off. Archaeology! (laughs) Afterwards, Ned and Nancy have a romantic steak dinner, and they talk about what they're going to do over Ned's Thanksgiving break. I am constantly confused whether I need to get birthday presents for people or Christmas right. presents for you people. You never know what temperature it's going to be outside. I have no idea. It's Christmas and then it's immediately <laughs> it's 4th of July. When she gets home, Hannah says to Nancy, call Bess and George. Nancy says, is it important? 
ask them it is. If you could hear them, you'd think so, says Hannah. Which is like a weird way of saying no. <laughs> By the way, Carson Drew is away on an indefinite stay. Seems dangerous. Best and George overheard Mr. Porterly, the angry grapefruit seller, getaway driver, talking on the phone at a phone booth. You know what he said? He said, that Drew girl and Scott are acting too smart. You know what to do. He's on the phone. He's like, the prank they pulled was really clever. We can't have any more of this. Nancy deduces. That means Tino and Porterly were the men who were spying on them and moved the road sign. And so she... She feels it her duty to call Terry and suggest he goes into hiding. Terry says, oh, I'll be all right. So Terry luckily has a place to stay that is secretive. Oh, good. Because he is deciphering an old sea captain's diary. Mm Mm-hmm. Like you do. He's a good translator. For Mrs. Wengel. What? But she's bad. We don't like her. Uh, Apparently the Wengels were involved in a case that Carson Drew tried against them in which they were accused of falsifying art records. They were declared innocent. But Carson doesn't think so. Carson's smarter than the law. Unfortunately, even though he's warned away from the Wengels, Terry can't decipher this old sea captain's diary without going to their house. Because Mrs. Wengel won't allow this priceless relic out of her sight. He agrees, unfortunately, to stay at the Wengels' house. But Nancy says he should not have done that. She says, come to dinner at the Fane's house. You're invited. We'll talk it through. I'll tell you why. In person, Terry repeats that he can't get this diary out of Mrs. Wingle's sight. It's a damned important diary, Nancy. She doesn't want to lose it. And Nancy says, I wonder if that's the real reason. So the diary, he explains, has unpublished legends about the Black Keys. Nancy says, oh, now I understand why you need it. But will you at least stay at a hotel instead of the Wangles? He says, I'd like to please you and be safe besides. Nancy suggests that he do a background check, essentially, on Mrs. Wangle. This whole conversation took place in the Fane's recreation room after dinner. Nancy and Terry emerge from the recreation room and Nancy says, I'm sorry, I haven't been the least bit sociable and now you'll think me rude. But do you mind if Terry and I go? Deuces. You'll think me rude, AKA I am being rude. I have eaten your food. I have talked in your home. I must go. Yeah, hypers, Nancy. Don't you ever take time out from mystery? Hypers, that's interesting. Have we heard that before? They're off to visit Mrs. Prescott, collector of family trees. I love that a background check is literally a genealogy check. Yep. I love the little detail. There's so many details in this book. And Mrs. Prescott pinches her pince-nez on her nose, which are those little tiny glasses that you kind of just pinch onto your nose. Oh, like Santa wears. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Mrs. Prescott, president of the local historical society, assures them that the grandfathers of Mrs. Wengel were not sea captains. What? But mere landlubbers. I love that Nancy and Terry both act surprised to hear this information. They pretend to be surprised. They're like, what? Yeah, which I would have thought Terry was genuinely surprised, but whatever. Neither of them followed the sea at any time. They have the whole life story there. You see, says 
Nancy, Mrs. Wengel is not to be trusted. Friggin' proved it to you. So, Nancy and Terry devise a way that he can study the diary when he's not at the Wengel's house, even without taking it. Using a brand new technology known as, let me take, let me take a look at this, a camera. A small one? Yep, yeah, a small camera that Nancy got for her birthday, I assume, alongside her car. But won't it take a long time to develop the film? This is a self-developing small camera. Oh, you know a good place to keep your self-developing film is in the glove compartment. In the glove compartment. Yeah. Which is probably where it was when she got it for her birthday along with her car. <laughs> probably. Terry says to her, I hate to think of you spending the night in that big house without your father. No way it could be dangerous, you know? Nonsense. I'm not the least bit worried. It is condescending, like, your dad's out of town, so now you're in danger. Hannah was not informed that Nancy was coming home late, so she been worrying about nancy this whole time wringing her hands nancy says you're a lamb to be so concerned when she falls asleep she still hears hannah busy in the kitchen banging around oh me oh my what a clatter says nancy she wakes up later in a bewildering alarm she hears banging and jangling she rushes downstairs to see hannah on the floor hannah mutters get him get him but Nancy does not. Apparently all that banging she heard was Hannah setting up homemade burglar alarms Mm -hmm. at every single window and door in the true household. She uses clothesline and she strings tin pans and kitchen utensils everywhere. In some sort of burglar garland of pots and pans. Unfortunately, one of the pots bangs her in the head and she gets a bruise. And knocked down. Like, how did she string these? What in the home alone? The burglar did leave a note. It says, no more interference or there will be trouble for you. Is it a burglar if they break in and leave something? Could have just put it in the mailbox, really. Wait, there's a lot of ways to do this. So, Nancy reassures Hannah, it may not be for you or me dad makes enemies in his legal work you know we get a lot of death threats here at the drew residence some crank could have written it could have been anyone probably nothing you says nancy to hannah were a darling and brave too well nancy goes looking around the house for clues because every thief has holes in their pockets and does find in a barberry bush what is a barberry you put that on your cereal (laughs) i don't know two clues one reading 74772 and the other reading five times seven and one bess can't believe her eyes when she comes over in the morning you see nancy is the one in an apron cooking and hannah is getting to rest what it is unbelievable to see hannah ever not working mm-hmm. she does not get a day off Except when she gets injured. Uh, You ought to have a bodyguard, says Bess. Well, Nancy points out that she's getting one because they're having plainclothes policemen guarding the house. It makes me feel very important, says Nancy. (laughs) Yes, says Bess, as if you were an heiress with a pile of diamonds. (laughs) Are you weirdos? Stop playing pretend. Bess also says they should celebrate Carson's coming home that afternoon. He's been away two days after all. And she bakes a mountainous lemon pie we are so disappointed because we got the nancy drew cookbook and we found that Bess's mountainous lemon pie isn't even in there though there are black keys burgers and we may talk about that later so 74772 nancy thinks about this while Bess is busy baking a pie and she says hmm that must be a 
phone number. Uh, seven is apparently the area code for River Heights. I don't have a landline here at the school, so I never, I didn't know that. Yeah. 74772, Nancy on a hunch goes to the phone book. She looks up the Wangles <gasps> and it's their telephone number. I was weirded out by this hunch because why, why not just call the number? Yeah, it like, seems like Nancy's usual thing. Right? Why look it up? If you're wrong, it's just a lot of work. Just call the number. So she calls Terry to warn him, but he already is home again, or back to the hotel. He got the pictures, and uh, he comes over right away. Mm -hmm. He gives her the pictures, like you do. Nancy tells Terry, you're to become a detective. She still hasn't taken this case. It's a real Obi-Wan moment, like when he's like, you're to become a Jedi. Uh, You are the detective now. (laughs) She reassures Terry, it isn't hard to do some simple sleuthing. Just notice things. You idiot. She does specifically ask him, like, did you look through their mail? Yeah. Did you listen to their voicemail? Yeah. That's snooping, says Terry. I'm afraid a good detective has to snoop. He says, well... Maybe I do notice things after all, because he's an eavesdropper. He listened in on a phone call, and he heard Mrs. Wingle muttering, Some king he is. King? It must be Conway King. You are a detective, Terry, says Nancy. I love that Terry heard this phone call, but like suppressed it out of politeness, I guess. So when he was convinced to not be polite, he's like, oh, I did hear a bunch of stuff. Yeah. So Carson comes home. Nancy says, oh, there's a really good pie waiting for you. And he says, oh, he sighs really heavy. I guess (sighs) I can't leave till tomorrow then. But they leave that night after the dinner anyway. Guess I'll have to stay. I'll be so stuffed full of pie. They go off to Baltimore with the half key and the pictures because a Mr. Breed has written to Carson to say, hey, you, I'm... I'm actually owed some money from Dr. Pitt. He's my relative. There's something suspicious about someone mailing the lawyer of a man who no one has declared dead. Yes. To ask for your cut of an inheritance that you shouldn't have known that lawyer knew about. And Nancy points that out and uh, Carson looks at her admiringly. That's exactly why we're going to see him. Also, there's no legal standing here because if the will didn't include him, it didn't include him. Yep. Very strange. So they go to Baltimore basically because Carson has other business. They check out Mr. Breed. He's like, what are you talking about? That's not true. I didn't write that. Yeah, he did, he's not even involved. In fact, he thinks that they're lawyers from the factory he works at. Mm-hmm. He's like, the doctor said not to give up my claim to my money for being hurt on the job. Mm-hmm. And they're like, that's not why we're here. And we never find out if he got his claim. And that's what I want to know about. (laughs) I want to know how the workers in Baltimore are being treated. Yeah, poorly. Well, here we are, you know, what, two-thirds through the book. And finally we find out that Carson says Nancy can take the case. Good news, Nancy. Oh, okay. You're you're allowed. Which I don't think she ever tells Terry. (laughs) Nope. No, he just, he, yeah, he'll go to his grave not knowing whether or not Nancy took this case. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nancy copies the pages that Terry gave her. She traces them on carbon paper. Yeah, so that she can kind of look at and shuffle them and try to figure out if they make any sense. This is like an impressive amount of detective work she's doing here. Yeah, definitely. It turns out that if she lines all these nonsense pictures up, 
that are just like pieces of lines. They do make a picture. It, they, the way they describe this, I can't imagine what they must have looked like. I don't know how you can have something that separately looks like absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. But together looks like some remote tropical wilderness with trees and branches and a distinct outline of three keys. <laughs> Yep, yep, in the branches. Also, a man, prostrate, a frog, and a sun. Just like the clue in the tent. Yeah, and like none of this you could tell in the separate pictures. Really impressive work. I think partly they weren't even next to each other in the diary. Yeah, but still, it's not like they were like, oh, there's a frog in this one. This sea captain, he did his work. Yeah, he did jigsaw puzzles on the side. Mm -hmm. Um, even better, uh, she transposes another picture from the book that become footprints that if she puts them on the map, lead to a large pool on the map. A picture of a pool. She has a treasure map now. It's a treasure map! Dad, I've pieced together a treasure map. Carson says, you're really hot on the trail, but we have to stay here till Friday. When she gets back, she calls Terry and she finds out he hasn't been back for two days to the hotel. He didn't check out, but he hasn't been back. Alarm for Terry's safety now made Nancy's heart beat faster. She calls George, who is startled by her call for whatever reason, and she says, I need your help on a search expedition. She puts puts the obsidian key into the dressing table, but she locks the pictures into the desk. Why? Just lock it all in. You have a place you can lock? What, Nancy? Why aren't you always hiding everything in your locked desk? Who would ever look for it in the bedside table? (sighs) What's on your mind, partner? Says George. Worry. We're going to the Wangles. Ugh. I see trouble ahead. We'll soon know, says Nancy. Seems as if we're not wanted, George says to the Wingles when they show up and they're not wanted. Yeah. Uh, Mrs. Wingle slams the door in their face. There's no one named Terry here. And they see suitcases in the hall, which is enough reason to get the police involved. (laughs) Wanted or not, I'm staying here until I do some investigating, Nancy says. So George goes off to get the, the officer. Officer. Riley from a block away uh, and Nancy sees a white handkerchief waving from the attic a distress signal it's the universal sign of either I'm in trouble or I'm not the guy who stole things I'm the guy who looks like him a taxi pulls up and the Wengles hop in they bustle out of their house suitcases pushing Nancy aside <laughs> Nancy calls for the taxi driver to stop but he doesn't either because he didn't hear her or because it's not his job to stop for her trying to figure out how the Wengles are getting away nancy checks all the natural places the railroad station the bus station the airport <laughs> the taxi company yep the windfield taxi company she i mean it's really funny she's like these are the ways out of town she says to the lady at the taxi company please talk to him over your radio i must find out where his two passengers are going and why should i do that says the lady because it may save a man's life now if i hear it might save a man's life i'm willing to do a little bit to help you i hate men myself anyways this person says say who do you think you are an fbi agent nancy knew it was useless to waste any more time arguing with the girl so yes she goes back to the house and george says hypers nancy i've just about had heart failure hypers that's interesting have we heard that before yes i thought you'd been kidnapped riley smiles tolerantly when nancy says there, there, there was a white kerchief in the attic window. 
And he says, are you sure it wasn't your imagination? Could it have been nothing, Nancy? Nancy was indignant. Of course not. So they talk to the neighbors who say the Wingles are phonies, not decent folks, not neighborly, and not nice. That's all the things you're supposed to be. Yep. Except for phonies. Nancy interrogates the neighbors. Did you hear or see anything strange? And they're like, we didn't. We didn't. Oh, wait, I remember. <laughs> I thought it was my radio, says an old man. But I did hear someone yelling, help! Help! <laughs> help! My name is Professor Terrence! <laughs> Get Nancy Drew! No, he heard, that he heard help. And he just thought, well, that must have been on the radio because I didn't hear it again. And I was listening to the Beatles at the time. So it makes sense. Yeah. Well, the policeman still doesn't believe until again they see a white kerchief waving out the attic. Mm-hmm. At which point he begrudgingly you know says can wait no longer and this is great because one of the neighbors just shows up with an axe like no one asked for it yep and she's just like let's i hate them let's do this Mm -hmm. stay outside girls there may be trouble says officer riley so nancy and george go inside when more police show up they do wait for that uh, okay and it's a good thing too because nancy is the one who finds the small door in the attic unlocks it and there is terry looking not so good he lost his voice yelling (gasps) he hasn't eaten in two days lieutenant malloy who is now here has him sniff a vial of something and now he's doing better cocaine nancy brings him home like a lost pet and hannah feeds him chicken broth and toast nancy goes back to the winfield taxi company where this time there's a cooperative blonde girl she says uh that taxi driver uh a couple held him at gunpoint wouldn't let him turn on his radio and left him in the woods near kirkland we're going to use your cab for a while buddy if you want it back you'll find it in kirkland they told him apparently the way they got terry was mrs wingle was like oh there's more papers you might want to read in the attic so he followed her up there and then mr wingle knocked him out from behind he woke up very foggy which sometimes you do from a head injury, but Nancy and Terry decide, no, he was drugged. I do have a drug. They knocked him out, and then they held his mouth open. <laughs> and they slipped some drugs in, and then, like, they had to stroke his throat so he'd swallow them. <laughs> Wango was standing over me laughing. It was an awful feeling, but he's proud that he gave them no info. They find out several things about the Wingles. One thing they find out is that they were renting the house, mm-hmm. which it, they were renting it furnished, which I'm glad they put in there because I'm sitting here going, what the frig are these Wingles thinking getting into a taxi that knows where they live, <laughs> holding it at gunpoint, <laughs> Leaving a man to die there. Uh-huh. I mean, go on vacation, sure, but you're going to have to clean up these messes when you get back. But also, they weren't using a fake name, so it's still pretty bold. They, They're counting on this treasure to move them to Mexico. They had enough of a River Heights life that people knew who they were. Yeah. <laughs> because they had a trial here. But it turns out, no, there's some sort of traveler. Like, they're willing yeah. to burn it yeah. all down. We also find out that Mr. and Mrs. Wingle hate each other. Listening to them was like li- waiting for an explosion said terry flashbacks to my childhood mom and dad fighting scared of mr wingle yeah and if she was winning a fight mr wingle would send her into a panic by doing a glissando on the black keys of the piano which i don't know what that is yeah you just go like this stroke them in a row oh like all of them yeah oh i assumed it was something classier than that no she would go into a panic and go no earl no yes every time he would stroke the black keys black 
Jeez. <laughs> Could it mean anything? We'll find out eventually. He would laugh uproariously. Now, Terry also figured out that Mrs. Porterly, you remember her. Mm-hmm. I don't. Who is that again? Mr. Porterly's wife. The grapefruit salesman's so we wife. Have three couples involved now, right? Yeah, yeah. three couple uh, crime. That never goes well. Two couples, couple friends. Three couples, there's going to be trouble. Uh, Mrs. Porterly is Mrs. Wangle's sister. The Webster sisters. Terry, again, was a good detective and overheard another phone conversation. So, when Carson hears about all this, he is concerned. It's amazing what evil men will resort to in trying to acquire treasure. She told Terry before he went to sleep, I have a surprise for you. The surprise is all the things she discovered about that treasure map Mm -hmm. from the diary. In the morning, she receives a phone call. Terry says, I'm off to Mexico. I gotta rescue Dr. Pitt. I hate to say goodbye like this. You've been such a good sport, Nancy. What a heartbreaker. Well, she never took his case. It's so dramatic. He's like, if you don't hear from me for a while, I'm deep in the Mexican jungle looking for my scientist friend. Nancy, I think you're going to solve this case. I'm depending on you. Nancy thinks he's unwise to do this. What could he do alone against ruthless enemies? The Florida police are informed. The Porterly business was always fake. There was never a grapefruit business. What? Yeah. What have I been eating for breakfast? The police informed them that the Porterlies have done a number of fancy rackets. (laughs) And Nancy says, now the fancy racket is cashing in on a treasure. And mankind's saving secret. (sighs) I wish I'd been home for the excitement, says Bess, hearing about everything that had happened. (laughs) But I suppose I'd been scared green. Like, yes, Bess, you don't ever want to be here for it. Nancy smiled but made no comment. I love that little snark from Nance. George asks, You wouldn't be feeling lonesome for Terry, would you, Nancy? Are you sad about Terry not being here? But Nancy insists, I'm not lonesome. I'm trying to puzzle something out. Bess, do you know what... Five times seven and one is? Thirty-six. Yep. I guess. Good, good math, Bess. That's the number of piano black keys. <gasps> so it wasn't five by seven. It's five times seven plus one. Mm-hmm. Why write that down anyway? Well, it comes up again later. It's I a mean, double clue I as know, it turns out. But it's not one that needs to be memorized by writing it down. Nancy offers a trip to Florida to Bess and George, but they say, no, we don't have any money. George says, how about tennis instead? Nancy says, no, that's boring. So Bess doesn't, and George go off to play tennis. Doesn't Bess say she especially has no money since she just had to go to New York with it, Nancy? Probably. Like, Nancy, I cannot do all these trips. Carson also says there will be be no family vacation to Florida. So Nancy says, I'm going to go on Dr. Anderson's field trip. We remember Dr. Anderson. He's the professor who teaches through field trips. I thought he was Dr. Graham. So I was imagining the whole time Dr. Graham's description instead of Dr. Anderson's description. Not that it makes a huge difference, but that's it is different. All the professors look the same to me. He wears tweed, Carl. Oh, that's right. Carson points out, you're not in the class. Nancy says, I was hoping uh, that he'd let me in. Nancy does go to meet Dr. Anderson. She's not feeling as confident anymore. And he makes the same point. You're not in my class. Why should I bring you? She says, I was hoping you'd accept me as a sort of special student. You know, a special student. He's still suspicious. So she says, well, actually, I was hoping you'd be my bodyguard. Perhaps it was Nancy's smile or her show of honesty. But Dr. Anderson's heart grew three sides 
realizes that day. <laughs> he softened up and he says, okay, take the quiz the class is taking. If you pass it, you can come. Nancy has three hours to study in the library. The librarian helpfully gets her all the books and the syllabus from the class. But Nancy doesn't know the final question on the quiz, which is about the Zapotex. And uh, she meets a girl named Frances Oakes, who says that Anderson is a mean old crow for putting that one on the test because they never really talked about it in class. He told them to look it up themselves. He said, you can do this. He oh, said, yeah. He didn't require, it you wasn't required to. reading. We do learn later about the Zapotex and you should do your own research about the American indigenous people. Yeah. Nancy is also introduced to Marilyn Maury and Grace James, not that they're ever mentioned by name again, uh, and goes home. She's waiting anxiously for the results of the quiz when a fire alarm goes off in the neighborhood. You know, the neighborhood farmer al- fire alarm? Farmer on the premises. Yeah, the neighborhood fire alarm. We've all got them. Tornadoes, yeah, hurricanes, yeah. fires. Turns out the Hackley house, two doors down, is on fire. Nancy races over, helps Mrs. Hackley and her infant calm down. The fireman comes out and says, oh, look, here's your problem. Somebody lit a fire in your house. Nancy figures out, oh, shoot, there's a fire bug in the neighborhood. And I left my front door wide open, literally open. So she races back. Here's a man coughing. Oh, no, there's a fire bug. Then it finally occurs to her, maybe it's not a fire bug. Maybe someone was just trying to distract her to steal that half key from her. Pads on soft feet up to her bedroom. And who does she meet in the hallway but Juarez Tino. She says to him, oh, no, you don't. Give me that key. Which he naturally found in her bedside table like he would. He says, I will not. She tries to get it from him, gets it from him momentarily. He shoves her down and says, I'll teach you. He forced Nancy to her knees. He gags her, ties her wrists, rolls her up in a blanket, ties the blanket with the bed sheets. It was very descriptive in this particular kidnapping. Like, it told us every last bit of what he did to Nancy. Yeah. From the gagging to the forcing her to her knees. It's pretty kinky. (laughs) They went the other direction from, like, let's not show violence to, like, let's show it in detail. Nancy happens to see that Juarez drops the half key while tying her up. But she doesn't see where it lands. He says to her, you should have stayed at the fire for longer. Uh, She could barely moan in reply. Hannah comes home and Nancy knocks over a nightstand to get her attention. Mm -hmm. She unties Nancy and she's so mad that the plainclothes detective has been dismissed the day before. She says, leaving you here at the mercy of that maniac, I'm going to give those policemen a earful. This whole time, Nancy had been waiting for the results of the test she took. Yes. She wasn't going to get it for a day. And I didn't get a chance to comment on this when she was studying. But one thing I really like about this book is these moments where Nancy is doing what a teenager might do. She's studying for and taking a test. And it's described in exactly the way a teenager might do it. But then it's also given immense stakes. And I love that. I love that if you took the mystery out of this book, you would get a teenager acting in most of the normal ways a teenager would. Yeah. But like because the mystery's here, the stakes for each of her teenager activities are suddenly much higher. Yeah. Yep. I find that so funny. Nancy, before she can think about the test again, is too busy blaming herself for choosing a bad hiding place for the obsidian key. She should have listened to Hope. Hypers! 
says George, which I don't know if you've heard that before. <laughs> That's her catchphrase. Talk about a cat having nine lives. This must be your 49th. Weird choice of number. Maybe it's exact. Maybe they went back and counted. <laughs> that awful man. He might have killed you, says Bess. You don't seem very happy. Aren't you glad to be safe? I mean, she just went through an ordeal, which you're admitting. But she has to be cheerful because she's safe now. What, what, are you, what are you, a baby? <laughs> Stop pouting. We've all been kidnapped before thanks to you, Nancy. You've never been stuffed under a bed before? you never gotten on a plane? <laughs> I'm afraid that Juarez took the key with him, says Nancy. Terry will never forgive me. 100% Terry will forgive her. He doesn't give a shit. George, though, finds the key, of all places, in the blanket. What? Because it's wool, I guess? I don't know. It Good got caught work, up in the blanket. George. Good work. And with that, Nancy receives a telephone call from our old friend Fran Oaks, telling her she passed with flying colors. I love that Fran's like, I don't know how you did it. You absolute bitch, you didn't even take the class. Well, she also doesn't get class credits, though, so that's nice. But she's also like, come spend the night in my dorm. And oh yeah, I have a cousin Jack in Florida who can like bring us around on his motorboat. We'll go water skiing. This is where we get proved yet again that Nancy doesn't need George and Bess. <laughs> but also they're okay. Yeah. They're all right, friends. I like that balance in this book. So George makes the connection between the black keys and the Florida keys. They're both called keys. Hannah finds the key in Nancy's handkerchief drawer and says, this is no better, Nancy. <laughs> Figure this out. So Nancy puts it on a ribbon on her neck. A flesh-covered, but strong ribbon. That'll do it. On the airplane, she picks a seat right next to Dr. Anderson, who gives her a cold, unfriendly stare. I'll have to use diplomacy if I'm ever to win his friendship, she says. I got this real sense from the doctor this whole time of, like, I won't be seduced again. <laughs> yes. No more relationships with young children. Dr. Anderson calls her out on working with Terry Scott. Ah, that's why he didn't like her. And uh, Nancy calls the doctor out on being jealous of the other doctors. She says, I think you guys are all jealous of each other. Professors are basically beta fish. You can't have them in the same bowl. Then she decides to bring him in on everything, including in-detail description of Juarez Tino's attack on her. Maybe it was that detail that changed <laughs> his mind. Nancy says he'd probably treat a man even worse. And Dr. Anderson says, I don't mind saying I admire your spunk. So a lot of what they're going to do down in Florida is visit the Seminole Reservation, mm -hmm, I guess. Mm -hmm. But Nancy is given leave to go with Francis Oaks, Fran, mm -hmm. and her cousin Jack and do their own sleuthing. Yeah, at first, the professor, who is a big proponent of male escorts, mm -hmm. says, you cannot leave without a man. Yeah. I can't go, so you can't go. Well, says Nancy, we've got a buff cousin. Yeah, yeah. He's like, well, that's different. Literally, he says that. So Jack takes them to meet Two-Line Parker. You know why he's called Two-Line Parker? Because he's so good at fishing, he can handle two lines. He tells them, well, there's no black key, but a black falcon did sink 
near an island. It's so clever to look for a Black Key island, and there kind of never is one. Like, they find a Black Key island, but it's, like, only called that by the bad guys. Like, no yeah. one knows it yeah, is yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, So, Two-Line Parker says, if I were you, I'd stay away from there. I'd stay as far away as I could get. This is what I'm talking about. This is the second vague threat. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why? I don't know. It's haunted or something. Mm-hmm. But instead of being frightened, Nancy found her curiosity, guess what, aroused. Oh my. Two-Line Parker talks of the old Evans diary. So, for whatever reason, Two-Line knows about this diary. He's like, well, you know, there was this one captain who Mm -hmm. wrote all about Florida in his diary. And sometimes Mexico. He knew Spanish, and he knew several Native American uh, languages, and it was never published, but boy do I know a lot about that diary. (laughs) That must be the diary that Wengel had, they realize. But as Tuline continued to talk, Nancy felt that perhaps his old mind was wandering. Yeah, he mentions that the sea captain wrote about frogs raining from the sky. She's like, okay, you might be thinking of the Bible now. Let's let's rein it back in. But he does show them where the Black Falcon crashed near Storm Island. Nancy goes off with her new friends to find the Porterlies. But unfortunately, she finds the address they were staying to be lived in by new people now, who don't even like the Porterlies. Of course. Well, that's the fun of being a detective, Nancy explains to her new friends. You look and look and keep on looking. And suddenly, when you least expect it, you find a clue. She does find in the next address... An incinerator in the backyard. Makes sense. Which hasn't fully burned all the letters in it. One of the letters she can make out Drew Girl. Yep. And she thinks they are plotting some new evil against her. When they go back out, Dr. Anderson, Fran, and Jack, and Nancy go this time out on the boat. And they pass Juarez Tino in another boat. They try to chase him down. That's unsuccessful. They also get to the area of where that island should be, but they don't know which one it is. When they go back, Terry is waiting for them. Right when Dr. Anderson is like, this is becoming extra dangerous. You can't go out anymore with just one male escort. It would take take at least, (laughs) count on his fingers, two male escorts. And I'm busy, so hi, says Terry. I've been using the services of your young detective, Dr. Anderson admits to Terry. So we should be friends now, finally. They all go to Terry's hotel and they eat pompano steak, which is a type of fish, cornbread, and papaya. Meal of the book. He tells them everything he discovered in Mexico, which is just that Juarez Tino escaped. Nancy smiled impishly because they just saw Juarez Tino. Yeah. So she knows more without having... Let me really give you some information. So they go back out on the boat. They meet a fisherman. They say, hey, do you know which one of these is the Black Key Island? He says, I don't don't know any names. I never heard of that. Do you know where the Black Falcon is? I, I don't know anything. I know where the fish are. I only know things based on my own head map i don't know directions so nancy has a sudden inspiration five and seven and one is there somewhere where there's five islands seven islands and one island and the fisherman says yeah there is actually so they do find the island which is mostly mangrove roots and then there's sand they find a low gray hut just then an airplane flies over them and they try to hide fran says is this what detective work is why you take your life into your own hands (laughs) 
I already told you, it's looking everywhere and not finding anything. <laughs> but what do they find in the hut? Dr. Pitt! Case solved. He says, I never gave them the secret. In fact, if I gave anyone the secret of the treasure, it would mean the destruction of all mankind. What? It's a bigger deal than we even thought. So, Jack and Fran go out for the police. Dr. Pitt is afraid that the half-key would give Juarez the masterhood of all secrets. Or all keys, or the secret. He would become the master of secrets. That's, that's the one. But... They are all captured by the three couples. The Tinos, the Porterlies. And the Wangles. And the Wangles. When our powers unite. They need a team name. Yep. The key is torn from Nancy's neck, because obviously. By the cruel Mrs. Tino. Now we have everything. The fortune is ours. Even if you hadn't walked into this trap, I had plans for taking care of you. Nancy's response is, I know. Yeah, fine. I got the note out of the incinerator. (gasps) So I knew you had some sort of plan. She decides even seconds counted now and keeps them talking. They don't reveal a whole lot. They convince Dr. Pitt that he will translate the diary for them and the stone because otherwise they're going to hurt Nancy and Terry, who are now their prisoners. He wouldn't do it for himself, but he'll do it for Terry and Nancy. So the men go off to Mexico with Dr. Pitt, Mm -hmm. but the wives stay behind. Mrs. Well, Mrs. Porterly must go with the men because only Mrs. Wangle and Mrs. Tino stay behind. Nancy and Terry are tied up and Terry says, hey, treat Nancy nicer. So Mrs. Tino says, no. (laughs) She sends Nancy into the other room with Mrs. Wangle. Oh, good, says Nancy. I think Mrs. Wangle is the weakest link. She gets a lot of information out of Mrs. Wangle that we already know. Mrs. Tino walks in and is very mad at Mrs. Wangle. She locks her in a closet and calls her a tattletale. Yep. Meanwhile, Terry alone has managed to escape his bonds, comes in, Mrs. Tino tries to lunge at him and trips over a chair, stunning herself. Yep. I tell you, keeping prisoners is really a job for three women, I gotta say. Yeah, where's Mrs. Porterly? <laughs> Maybe she was standing guard. Maybe. While Mrs. Tino is stunned, Terry manages to untie Nancy and mm-hmm. tie up Mrs. Tino. It was quite stunning. They put up a fishing pole as a distress signal, and there are the police. They leave the police to arrest the women. They're off to Mexico. Real quick, they're like, Dr. Anderson, we have to go to Mexico. What? All of a sudden, Dr. Anderson has a substitute in mind. (laughs) Dr. White comes and subs, and uh, they decide to ambush Juarez at Diablo Point. You have to keep in mind, this is the part where we have like five pages left in the book. Yeah. And I'm just like, what the heck? Everything's happening all of a sudden. They wait in the jungle. It's specifically like, it's hot, it's awful, there's gnats and mosquitoes biting Nancy. And they start to think maybe Dr. Pitt and the Tinos and the Porter, like all the men, they're probably not coming. They hear him coming around the corner talking to the men. Dr. Pitt didn't know the exact location. Plus, he says to the men, the secret will destroy mankind if I tell you. It's a big secret. As he says this, Who should hop out of their uncomfortable hiding place but Nancy, the professors, and the full force of the Mexican police to arrest 
those vile men. Yes. And free Dr. Pitt, who says, You truly are my friends, Mm -hmm. to Nancy and the other professors. I should have shared the secret that will destroy mankind with you from the start. Yep. We understand, says Terry. Let's forget that and find the treasure. (laughs) Yeah. Who cares? Who cares that it will destroy humanity? Well, Nancy's diary map works like a charm, and it leads them to a solid, silver, waterproof, tarnished chest. I think this is the first silver treasure we've found. Yeah, we never get those. Mm -hmm. Nice. The key is not vitally broken. Why did they need the other half at all? That's my question. If it's not vitally broken, they didn't need the other half. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I guess they didn't know for sure. And it opens, and what should be inside this chest? But exactly the horrifying kind of secret you'd expect. Lots of frogs. (laughs) A lot of silver frogs. (laughs) Cute little silver frogs. I imagine them all looking like that, like, squishmallow frog. Just like little... (laughs) roundies all different sizes except there's one very large one that is not bejeweled what could it be a secretive frog here's the secret says dr pitt he (gasps) unscrews its toe or something don't unscrew it dr pitt you are very sure this is gonna kill everyone some green powder comes out and then he re-screws it. Like, this is not what a doctor would do. No! Okay, so my understanding is that Dr. Pitt has surmised, based on the sun, the frog, and the prostrate man, that this green powder kills everyone. Doc- That's why the man's prostrate. Dr. Terry Scott has a different idea. He says, no, I think it's supposed to heal everybody. Look at the translation, blah, blah, blah. He was prostrate, but he's gonna unprostrate. These secret 11 herbs and spices will heal him. Yeah, he finally convinces Dr. Pitt that this is a herbal remedy. So it's off to the lab to be studied. But like, when he unscrewed it, he thought it was death dust. Yeah. Like, was it COVID in there? It could have been anything. Yeah, you you definitely want a hazmat suit when you... Right! Luckily, there's a happy ending. Juarez and his friends would be imprisoned. Yay! In Mexico! (laughs) The scientists would announce their find to the world. Yay! (laughs) Juarez was beside himself with rage. It would have been our treasure if it weren't for you, Nancy Drew. Dr. Pitt says contemptuously, um, actually, it's none of our treasure. It is the property of the Mexican government. You should know that. I wish he had said, like, the indigenous people or something, but no, the Mexican government. I mean, I guess it's better than saying us professors. Yeah, because all they care about is that the discovery belongs to them. Terry takes Nancy's arm and says, how does it feel to be such an important person you know sidling up to her i guess yeah dr anderson says i want you to tell my students nancy that the best way to discover treasure is to have an observing eye and a brave heart (laughs) because i guess he teaches a class on how to find treasure (laughs) that's what archaeology is carl (laughs) i wish all my students were live wires like nancy drew Which is just a way of saying, like, I hope, I wish they didn't come to class, but passed anyway. <laughs> That'd be the best of both worlds. Well, I think that Nancy has finally, finally solved her last mystery. Nope, there's gonna be another one soon. The mystery of the ski jump. Time to learn about snow. <laughs> I hear that uh, skiers have over 11 words for it. 
I hope it's like the old Pink Panther movie. Oh, I hope that the ski lodge is haunted. Why not both? (laughs) Well, we are looking forward to finding out. And until we do, I'll still be Carl. And I'll be Hope. And we'll both say, Go Go Wildcats! I want some hot cocoa now. Ooh. We might need to have a special episode about this video game sometime. I have a, we have a, there's a host of video games. We can, um, oh, I don't know, put them on our Patreon. Remember to support us at our Patreon. (laughs) You can email us at riverheightsradio at google.com or find our Patreon, River Heights Radio. We'd really appreciate it. Instagram at River Heights Radio. Twitter at River Heights FM. River Heights Radio on Facebook and River Heights Radio on YouTube. Uh, And give us a review or five stars on uh, apple podcast or spotify or stitcher or wherever you're listening yeah if you listen this far i mean why not we actually put a a lot of hours into these episodes but we're having a lot of fun that's a blast so it's all for you you for listening an extra special big thanks to robert busby for composing and recording this podcast's musical intro and to the wonderful hope busby for editing this entire thing. You guys make it happen.